Brandon, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you today, sir? Doing well. How are you guys? Very well. Thank you for asking. Excited to see this uh, football team and football season continue to move forward. The month of October all of a sudden is here about a third of the way through. It's it's so funny. We wait forever for the sport to get here, and then next thing you know, it always feels like it just flies by, Brandon. Yeah, it's incredible. I, you know, I was talking to people earlier today. We're near the midpoint, and but I never thought I'd be halfway through, potentially almost halfway through the college football season and, and be talking about maybe going to Lawrence, Kansas <laughs> to cover a game. But that that's where we are at college football. I just never know. Yeah, I mean, such great stories across the sport. A lot of great teams and, and teams already making changes at their head coaching position. And Brian Harson could be one of those guys. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But the number of firings that we've seen already, are you surprised uh, that we've seen so many so far? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, we've had five in the Power Five so far. Um, and, you know which is kind of crazy. We're about like two weeks ahead of schedule of where we were last year. And last year was almost a record-breaking year. Um, I'm not so sure we're going to have as many staff turnovers as we did last year. We had 29 head coaches changed in the FBS. I don't think we'll see that many this year. But the, the firing cycles are beginning earlier because of, one, the transfer portal and the, the pressure that goes along with that. And then secondly, just... The, the sweepstakes of going after coaches and then the hot coaches right now. You know, Nebraska and Wisconsin, for example, they've got similar coaches that they want to go after. And that one of those is Lance Leopold at, at Kansas. Um, and he's going to be the hottest name probably in this, in this cycle. And but people are trying to get an early, early start on everything. I legit was going to ask that question. Why are we seeing it get started so early? So transfer portal is there. We've now got the signing day that takes place in December and that sort of thing. So uh, do you think this is going to become more customary if an athletic department says, hey, we've got to make a switch. Let's go ahead and make it now so that we can start building momentum for the future. Yeah, until, you know, I mean, we've seen that the calendar is going to change here and it is has changed with the transfer portal where you can only enter it now and starting in December and again back in May. Um, so that's going to slow things. But the the issue still is you have the early signing date um, in early December, and the transfer portal is still going to be opening up in early December. So you got to have someone in place before that all happens. And a lot of them want them in place as soon as the season ends or right before the season ends. I mean, goodness, look at Texas Tech. They had someone in place well before all that with Joey McGuire coming over from Baylor and they were able to kind of salvage their, their uh, recruiting class and actually improve upon it because he was able to come in earlier. So that's the kind of the space, the headspace these ADs and administrators are in. But also there's so much more at stake right now. You don't want to get left behind because of, one, the conference realignment, and also these teams that are staying within their conferences and not moving around, they got to be in stronger positions to maintain their health. So, for example, Colorado if you had told me in the preseason that they would be winless at this point, what are they going to do with their coach, Carl Durrell? I would have said, well, they're going to wait till 2023 because they've got some money issues that they're dealing with right now. They're not going to want to make the move. And the move that they've circled is they're going to make a cut bait there is 2023. But they would end up deciding to make the change this past week, and that's because they got to be in a position to where they might be able to try and sell themselves to go to the Big 12 or for that matter, help keep the Pac-12 alive because they're on shaky ground there. So we're in a very precarious situation for a lot of these schools that have 
maybe decisions that they would like to push off a year or two that all of a sudden they got to make uh, those decisions and maybe some rash ones right now. Yeah, I didn't even think about the conference realignment perspective in this. And uh, again, we mentioned uh, Brian Harson's name in this at Auburn, and uh, we'll get to that, I'm sure. But you also mentioned some of these athletic departments, Georgia Tech being one of them that's already made a change in leadership with that football program. They've also got schools that don't have athletic directors. And then how do you make decisions like this, Brandon? I mean, it gets so chaotic, I feel like. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's not the first time and it won't be the last time you see people making decisions without athletic directors. And, you know, Georgia Tech's president just fired their AD and their head coach at the same time. Um, and listen, um, head coaches are hired sometimes without an AD in place, or for that matter, um, they're just kind of filled in on the process by the other administrators of this is who they're bringing in. Um, so keep that in mind as Auburn goes down this trek here over the next few weeks of what's going to happen with Brian Harson. Um, you know, I believe for a while that they would wait until the end of the season to make a judgment call of some sort there. But things don't look good there. They have not improved week to week. Um, you want to win, obviously, but to lose the way that they have, it seems like they just find new ways. And for that matter, record-breaking ways to lose, uh, doing things in the SEC that haven't been done in a decade plus with the way they've lost, um, especially this past week against LSU. So uh, this is a, um, I, I'm sure you guys have talked about the critical week uh, for Brian Harson. I think he knows it. And, you know, people say that maybe the writing's on the wall. Well, to me, the, the writing has moved from the wall to Brian Harson's face. You could see it on his face at the end of that LSU game. You could see that he kind of knows that things have gone south, and at this point, what does the future hold? Uh, I don't think we've seen him like that after a game in his career so far there at Auburn. And, um, you know, the chatter will continue. Um, and unless there's just an absolute miracle that he's got up his sleeve, that uh, I think the, the, the ending has already been written. Brandon, let's look at some uh, some other national headlines. Brent Venables is in his first year as the head coach at Oklahoma, and already people are unhappy. What in the world is going on in Oklahoma right now? Yeah, I mean, we thought he'd come in and improve that defense right away, right? That's his thing. He's the defensive corner at Clemson, that top five defense is there every year. Comes into OU, and that's been their Achilles heel. Giving up 55 points, goodness gracious, to TCU last week. And the issue has been for these last two games is they allowed so much on the ground, and not just from running backs, but quarterbacks. Two quarterbacks have rushed for 100-plus yards against them, with Max Duggan last week, and, of course, Adrian Martinez two weeks ago at Kansas State, and they've lost back-to-back games. Listen to this, guys. OU has lost back-to-back games in the regular season only twice since 1999, and here they are. And Brent Venables is not necessarily feeling pressure because it's his first year, but a lot of questions like, how are you going to fix this? Are you going to take over play calling duties for the defense? Are you maybe meddling too much already with the defense? People are criticizing him already in Norman. Then you have an offense that has been doing well that all of a sudden doesn't have its quarterback in Dylan Gabriel, the transfer from UCF. He's going through concussion protocol. He was knocked out early in that game against TCU. He's very questionable going into the Red River rivalry, and this is the biggest game for them all season, in my opinion. They're three and two, and so is Texas. But Texas goes into this game favored for the first time in 13 years. 
And so a lot of just bad negative vibes going on at OU in a place where, you know, the criticism has always been, oh, we made the playoff, but we can't win a game. Now we're talking about, can we win a game? Um, and that's just not typical there at OU, and it hasn't been typical there in more than 22, 23, actually, I'd say 25 years now. Brandon, I want to take it back into the SEC now to another place. You mentioned bad vibes up there in Oklahoma. There's a lot of bad vibes going on right now in College Station, Texas, as the Texas A&M sitting at 3-2, and two, a team that a lot of people thought was a dark horse for the, the playoff this year. And they're coming up onto a, a game that I think everybody in the college football world kind of circled after you know the, the events that happened in the offseason between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. What, what is, you know, what, what's going on in, in College Station right now? Well, you're right. A lot of criticism, a lot of pressure there. And to me, this is a lost season for Texas A&M. This was supposed to be the start of them revving it up and challenging Alabama and Georgia to be the top team in the SEC. And instead, they look like a mid-team. And that shouldn't be the case with as much talent they have on their roster. I think, according to our 24-7 sports composite, they have the fourth most talented roster in all of college football as of right now. And they're not even worthy of being discussed as a top 35 team right now. So that's, that's a big issue. But the biggest issue here is, is that they should be much better. They could be much better if the head coach, Jimbo Fisher, wasn't so stubborn with his offense. He has not been willing to revolu- I say revolutionize. It would be a revolution for him, considering how stagnant that offense looks. But that offense is a decade old. It's way behind the times. It's not explosive. He's not utilizing the weapons he has correctly. And that's why they're struggling right now. Not the defense. It's not just something going on with depth or talent. It's the offense, the offensive play calling, and that filtering through everything else in that program. So Jimbo Fisher needs to make a change there. He has got to relinquish play calling duties. He's got to go out, hire someone who's going to modernize that offense and take advantage of all the weapons that he's recruited. Does he do that? I don't know. He's stubborn, as I said. But what happens is, say, they finish around 500 this season. Say that happens. And the administration there at A&M goes, listen, paying you a lot of money. We're not paying you to be stupid. Go out and hire an offensive coordinator and modernize this thing. But what if, what if Fisher says, well, you're right. You paid me all this money to run the program my way, and I'm going to run it my way. I'm not hiring an OC. I'm doing it my way. Well, then I think he's on the hot seat next year. And regardless of that buyout money, A&M will find it, and they will buy him out. We could be talking about A&M making a coaching change next year if, again, a lot of hypotheticals there, if, one, A&M struggles continuously here this season, and he decides, I'm not going to tweak anything offensively. That's a lot of things to say to say this. The pressure is on. And again, we've been saying it for the last year or so. It's national championship or bust over these next four years in Aggie land. And Jimbo Fisher, to do that, has got to look at himself in the mirror and realize what he's doing is just not getting it done. He's got to relinquish the power of that offense talking to Brandon Marcel from 247 Sports. Brandon, five hours ago you you had an article posted online as college football playoff contenders and pretenders heading into this week six. I don't want you to give away the whole article because we obviously want everybody to go and read it, but can you highlight one team on each side of that, the contender or pretender at this point through the year? Yeah, I I think to me, you know, everybody's questioning Georgia right now. Um, I'm not. I think Georgia is one board. 
with the opponents on their schedule. <laughs> Secondly, they're dealing with a lot of injuries. And no one's really talking about that for some reason. Um, they've been dealing with injuries at receiver. Um, three guys have been injured the last two weeks off and on. And now they've just lost Jalen Carter, their best player, maybe regardless of position, at defensive tackle with an MCL injury. And he's going to be out maybe probably the next couple of weeks. So they're going through some stuff. They're struggling a little bit. Stetson Bennett has not been able to utilize the weapons around him because they're just not out there. And now the defense is struggling a little bit. So, But they, they keep winning. They find ways to win. When they have to turn it on, they do. So I think it's a combination of two things there. They'll be fine. Their schedule sets up to, as such that they should be fine here over the next few weeks as they heal up. So just keep that in mind. As far as a pretender, hmm, let me see here. What's a good team I would consider as a pretender? Um, I would have to go with uh, Tennessee because uh, that defense, listen, that defense has been like top 25 type of defense this season statistically. And their third down stoppage rate last season, if you guys looked at it last year, that's what held them back last season. They were 101st nationally in getting off the field on third downs defensively. Well, they're 16th now. They, they have made marked improvement there. But then there's like, there's an underlying condition here that you just feel like is going to lead to that number dropping off again, and that's pass defense. They're 128th nationally in pass defense guys, wow. this season. But yet they're 16th nationally in getting off the field on third downs. That pass defense that number, that doesn't go away, and that's going to creep up and chip into that third down defense. And so I think they're a pretender a little bit on defense, and they're going to be, I think what we saw last season, that's going to hurt them at some point. And heck, it almost hurt them against Florida in that crazy weird comeback Florida was putting together in the final minutes a couple of weeks ago. And again, Tennessee's schedule, just so incredibly tough. I mean, goodness gracious. They not only have to play Alabama next week, they also have to play Georgia. And so get this, they're going to have to go at least two and one against Alabama and Georgia this season to make the playoffs. <laughs> that, that's just not happening, guys. You're going to have to beat Alabama twice, potentially, or at least Georgia once and then Alabama. That's just no one's going to be able to do that. No one in this country can do that. And the top team, I think that I, I, I've been reluctant to say this because I almost put the number one, but I held back. Ohio State's probably the best team in the country right now. I, I, Ohio State couldn't do that right now. Um, and uh, to think Tennessee's going to do that with that defense, and again, that under I call it the underlying condition, that pass defense is atrocious, and that third down defense is, is going to come down a little bit because they just can't stop the pass. Brendan Marcello's here with us again from 24-7 Sports. Follow him on Twitter, at BMarcello. You were back on the Plains ahead of the Penn State game. Got a chance to catch up with Coach Hartson yourself, Brandon, in a one-on-one conversation that folks can go back and find at 247sports.com. But in reality, where does Auburn go from here? I mean, how do you see these next few weeks playing out for the Tigers? Well, it's never good when you go on the road to Georgia, right. and it hasn't been for the last 15 years for Auburn for whatever reason. We've seen the some of the better teams in Auburn modern history go there and just lay an egg. Um, I, I, and I don't, I've never been able to understand it. 
so it almost makes me think that this game's gonna be like a like a decided in the final minutes, right? Like that's <laughs> yeah. how it will end up. So being. we're setting it it'll up, yeah. Like a, yeah, it'll be like a ten to seven game, and it could be. Who knows? I'll say this: you guys see it up close. You guys see it in person. Those kids are playing their tails off. They're going after it. They they haven't given up, and uh, that's what makes it so difficult to watch uh, with Auburn right now. I just don't think they have the depth to to hang with a lot of teams in the SEC, even LSU last week. Um, I was impressed with the way they jumped out on LSU last week. They had a good game plan. I think Robbie Ashford was really got them going, put some excitement in there. But as we've seen, it just tails off, the trails off for whatever reason. I think depth is an issue. That's, the, that's probably one of the big things there. But also, it just doesn't look good on the coaches as far as coaching adjustments after halftime and in-game adjustments. And so... Um. Yeah, I mean, the five-game home stands over, and you should have exited it four and one, if not five and zero. Oh. And uh, now they're three and two, and the back half of the schedule is not only <laughs> games on the road, more so, but also it's the toughest part of the entire schedule. Right. And uh, I, I just don't see how they rebound from this, and and how Brian Arson uh, saves his job. And then everybody wants to know what's next, but we've got time and days to kind of figure it out for this go Auburn football Go hire Deion pro- Sanders. Go hire Deion Sanders. If you're going to make a change, go hire Deion. I'm telling you, he's a great CEO type. He doesn't get enough credit for that. I think he would do marvelous work at a Power 5 program. Someone's going to hire him. If Auburn will just stand out of his way, let him recruit, do things his way, he's a great CEO behind the scenes. I don't think people give him enough credit for that. They think he's all flash and everything. He knows how to run a business. He knows how to run a program. I would go after Deion Sanders. I would, quote, unquote, take that risk, which to me is not a risk. I would go hire Deion. I think that'd be remarkable. If I'm Auburn, I'm getting Charles Barkley on the phone. I'm having him call Dion, set up a golf outing, tell him what he loves about the opportunity, and, and go from there. Do you, I, just, I don't know that Auburn makes a move like that, Brandon. Could you see them actually doing that? No, probably not. Um, I think I think crazy to them would be going to get. Yeah, I think crazy to them would be going to get Lane Kiffin, which would be also a great hire, and probably the more likely one. But I would go get Dion. I think he would change things overnight there. I'd love it. That'd be outstanding. We'll see how it plays out and if and when uh, something like that could happen. Do you enjoy your trip back to Auburn, Brandon? I mean, you got the football facility coming up. Downtown's adding a, a Target and a Publix to College and Gay Street opening <laughs> here soon. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely changing here on the Plains. Yeah, that Publix scared me. And then, of course, <laughs> not seeing Ke- that Coyotes there was weird. And I wish I could have went inside that football facility. It looks impressive. <laughs> Oh, man. Thanks for the time, as always. It's good to catch up with you, Brandon. All right. See you guys.